All right. Good morning. Can you all hear me? All right. It's good to be back. I can't believe it's been nearly two months. I think it's been a little over two months since it was the last time I was up here. And I don't know if any of you remember, uh, but I might have mentioned that at that time, that was only the second sermon I had ever really given in front of a church setting, at least in Sunday morning. Um, There was only one other time I could think of in Louisiana, but aside from that, that was my first time kind of preparing a sermon and preaching it. I was super nervous. Um, Very, and again, not for any reason from you, you, excuse me, of you guys. I heard a lot of great things about you guys. But as I was driving here, I was like, oh man, this is going to be so rough. I don't don't give sermons. I don't consider myself a preacher, even though I know we must preach. But it was something I, I was... I was not really excited about, Uh, but that quickly changed when I first got here. Um, You guys showed me love, Um, you welcomed me, you gave me advice, you cared for me, and quickly my nerves kind of faded away, and I was super blessed for that time because it showed me, it was like, oh, I can give a sermon, I can give a sermon, I can give an okay sermon, and so I just wanted to give you guys a a big thank you for that and for the love you showed me, and also for the support you've given me as a Sunset student right now as I'm going through the school, it's helped a lot, and I'm super appreciative of you guys. And yeah, I just want to thank you so much. Um, As we get started, if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm chapter 1, or I guess the first Psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. We're going to to be focused in the first Psalm in this morning. That's going to be our primary passage. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. But as you're turning there, I want to ask you guys a couple questions. I want you guys to be thinking about this. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? Or rather, when I say the word righteous, what different things come to mind? I want to give you guys a second just to think about that. Righteousness. What do you think of when you hear that word? I know for me, growing up, um, I was big into fiction. I still am. And some of my favorite stories had to do with the forces of evil fighting the forces of good. Those were always some of my favorite stories to hear, whether I was hearing about it in real life or through the TV shows and movies I was watching. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies or have read the Lord of the Rings books. If you haven't, I recommend. They're fantastic. I don't have the time this morning to tell you every little detail about the story in those movies. I'd rather you just watch it or read it. But in in that story, in those movies, the primary conflict is that there's this force of evil named Sauron. And he created this ring that when he wears it, he wields this unimaginable power. And he wants to rule Middle-earth. He wants to rule the lands, and he wants to be the king of everything. But in doing so, he will kill many people in innocent lives. But because of this, a group of people come together, uh, a fellowship, if you will, the Fellowship of the Ring, who had the ring of power in their midst. And they came together to come up with this plan to just go to Mordor, to destroy the ring, and defeat Sauron, so that, that Middle-earth can live in peace and not have to live in fear. That is some of my favorite stories about fighting for what's right. Those are some of the different things I think of when I hear about righteousness. There's even some real-life examples I think of. I know in the 1960s during the Civil Rights Movement, people were standing up for themselves and fighting for equality, uh, fighting against discrimination and segregation. We had people like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., who stood up for what was right. They stood up for being equal, no matter the color of their skin. So there's many different examples we think of when we think of this idea of righteousness. And so while I was studying this lesson and kind of researching, I got very curious. I wanted to see what the Internet's definition 
of righteousness was. I got very curious. I wanted to see what the people of the world had to say. And of course, there was plenty, plenty of definitions, all fairly similar, um, but something I consistently saw um, when I was reading definitions, whether they were on the Webster Dictionary website or other websites, was this phrase. They used this phrase pretty consistently when it came to the definition of righteousness. And it was this idea of being morally right. Morally right. Which I guess it makes sense. You know, the word right is in the word righteousness and righteous. You know, we stand, like I've mentioned before, and I'm sure as many of us can think of, the idea of righteousness is to stand up for what's right, to stand for justice, for what's good. But what about in today's society? What about in today's world? The idea of being morally right. I feel like that term has kind of flipped its head when we look at the world today. Wouldn't you agree? One of the big ideas I think of or I thought of whenever I was thinking of this idea, what does the world think of righteousness or what's righteousness? Um, and a big one that I thought of and I think encompasses a lot of different things is this idea of acceptance. You have to accept who I am and what I am and what I do and how I live. And if you say anything wrong about that, then you're the bad guy. Then you're in the wrong. And of course, like I said, that encompasses many different things. We have different challenges today like the LGBTQ community who kind of going back to that idea is like, this is how I want to live. This is how I've always been. And if you tell me I'm wrong, then you're wrong. Same thing with abortion. We're struggling a lot with that. Women, are, women and men are going about preaching this idea of like, this is my body, and I can do with it whatever I want, even if that means killing an infant in my stomach, or excuse me, in my belly. So many difficult things. Even the idea of standing up for what's right has, I feel like, kind of corrupted itself nowadays. Instead of standing up for what's right in a very peaceful manner, in a manner that's calm and that you can have a conversation with, it's almost this idea of spreading hate now. Even if you disagree with one thing that I don't like, whether it's a sports team, politics, or whatever it may be, if you disagree with me, then instead of being, having a, a decent conversation with you about it, it's kind of turned into this hatred, being like, you're wrong, you're stupid for thinking that. And that's kind of seeped into our churches, hasn't it? I know it has for me. So again, I kind of ask this question, what is righteousness? Because even aside from that, we deal with something, we deal with self-righteousness as well. That's something I know I've dealt with before in the past. This idea of, I know what's right, and you don't know anything. When I was looking up the word self-righteousness, this definition came up. A self-righteous person thinks that they can do no wrong and goes about with a holier-than-thou attitude, judging and scrutinizing everyone else. I don't know about you guys, but I can relate to being in this mentality sometimes. It's very easy for us to feel self-righteous in different situations, even outside of the church, even when it comes to school or a job and to whatever. It's very easy to feel like we know what's right. It's, it's very easy to feel prideful. So again, I want to ask the question, what is righteousness then? If the world kind of has warped this idea of righteousness, what is it truly? I mean, these are some of the messages that our, our kids are growing up with. That some of the messages we grew up with, this idea of like, this is what's right, and if you don't believe it, then you're wrong. Well, what does the Bible say about it? And again, if you're not already... And that's going to be our primary passage for today. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. And it reads, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. 
For he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but for they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked, excuse me, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I'm going to read that last verse one more time. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This verse doesn't say, for the world knows, or that I know, or that ourselves know. No, it says, for the Lord knows righteousness. And so, according to this, this passage right here, how do we get to know righteousness? If we know the Lord. If we come to know the Lord and we come to walk with him, that's how we know righteousness. That's what verses 1 and 2 say right here. I'll read it one more time. Verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I know when it comes to that word meditate, I remember when I was reading this growing up, when my dad would, there was a time my dad would kind of teach the Psalms to me and my sisters just kind of have like little devos at the end of supper. And then we read this word meditate, I'm sure a lot of us kind of, when we hear that word, we kind of have this Western idea of like you sit down crisscross applesauce, you hold your hands right here, you close your eyes, and you, you just repeat something like om or whatever. And in that part of the world, that can be meditation. But what's super interesting about that form of meditation is this idea of that you're trying, to try, you're trying to pour yourself out. It's this idea that once you pour, your, pour yourself out of everything, that you'll reach the state of enlightenment or nirvana. It's very interesting um, when you study th those kinds of religions with that, but it's kind of the exact opposite when it comes to meditation in the Bible or the meditation God talks about. When it comes to the discipline of meditation in a biblical sense, in a biblical context, it's this idea that instead of pouring yourself out, you're letting God pour into you. You, kind of, you take the scripture and not only just read it, but you really try to find where this scripture, this specific scripture, whatever it may be, how it applies to you and how you can change going about how you can change your life for the better based off that verse. It becomes a part of you. And it if you constantly meditate, you're constantly filled with God. This idea. That's what, that's what the word meditation here means. So one, if you delight in the Lord and you meditate it on day and night, you will be like this tree firmly planted. I don't know about you guys, but growing up over the summers, um, when I was younger, I had this summer job where I'd go around uh, to all my neighbors and kind of ask them if I could do their yard work for them. Uh, just for some money. And a lot of that yard work entailed uh, me pulling weeds, whether it was from their yard or from their, from their patio or from their garden. And I'm telling you, some of those weeds were so hard to pull up, even if they were little. And that, for that reason, it was because their roots were so strong. And of course, as I got older and I got stronger, I was able to do that. And even with the right tools, I could still do it. But I want you to imagine a tree, a big tree planted by streams of, a big stream of water that's constantly flowing water how strong its roots must be, how difficult it would have to be to, 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 to take that tree out. Even with, the, with the, the best of tools, it would probably be pretty impossible to because that's how strong its roots are. That's what it's saying here. I almost read this verse right here as like a math equation. It was like, lighting in the Lord plus meditating on, word, meditating on his word day and night equals being like this tree that's firmly planted that won't be uprooted, that will, stick, well, that will be firm, that will be strong. That's what kind of this idea of this righteousness is. 
If you could turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verses 33, I think this verse kind of encompasses this first half of the psalm very well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It talks about this, this very idea, very idea in a very, I guess, in simple, more simple words. Matthew 6, verse 33. And it reads, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you will, it will be added to you. It will become a part of you. When you play hide and seek, you don't play the game by just, you know, counting and then letting everyone hide and then just standing, saying put. That's not how you win the game. You have to actively take action and look for these people. That's super important. You have to seek his righteousness. That's kind of what it's saying. If you're taking the time to meditate in his word and you find a light in his word, that you don't see it as a chore, you find it as something you look forward to, something that's going to benefit you, that you will receive that. God will give that to you willingly. He's like, you're seeking my righteousness. You're seeking my kingdom. So here you go. It's added to you. But I want to ask, what happens when we're not seeking his righteousness? What happens when we decide to not do anything about it? That's kind of what the rest of the psalm kind of talks about, kind of that, that, that very path. When you choose not to seek the path of the righteous or the path of the godly, in contrast, verses 4 through 6 in the first psalm kind of talks about that other path. And I'll read it again, verses 4 in Psalm 1. For the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. I grew up in Kansas. Um, we had a lot of farmers out there. I'm sure a lot of you have uh, grew up farming or are still farming. And I'm not exactly sure what you farm, but growing, growing up in Kansas, I, a lot of, I saw a lot of corn and I saw a lot of wheat. And as I would drive by these wheat farms, I'd kind of see like, these things in the air. And I didn't really know what they were at the time until, again, when I was studying this verse with my dad. He's like, do you know what chaff is? And I went, no, I do not know what chaff is. And chaff is... Again, I'm not a farmer, and if I get this wrong, you can come correct me. You can come rebuke me after the lesson and be like, that's not what chaff is. But chaff, from what I understand, is at the very top of the grain. It's what, if, it's what I think, it's what, is, it's what the grain is. You know? And it's super, very, it's very easy to take apart. Like, if, like it says, a wi some wind could very easily take the chaff off. And this verse is almost the exact opposite of what it talks about in verse 3. In verse 3, we see, again, a tree with strong roots, that's going to be firm. It's not going to be moved because of, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> because of the streams of water. It's constantly consuming. But the opposite is here. The chaff doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for it to move. When I thought of chaff, certain words came to mind. I thought of like again, easily removed, something that's not stable, or something that's very easily swayed. That's that's brought back and forth by the wind. That's been taken further and further away from what its initial point was at. And in verse 4, it says, it's comparing the wicked to chaff. Verse 4 says, for the wicked, or excuse me, for the wicked are not so, for they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So there's no place for people who walk the path of the wickedness. There's no place here. No place. They will not stand in the judgment, and they will not be in the assembly of the righteous. In verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And ultimately, that's the path of not seeking righteousness leads to. It leads to self-destruction. Even as Christians, 
as for some of us who even grew up in the church, we, we, we come through, excuse me, we deal with difficult things. We struggle. It's not easy being a Christian. And how many times have we found ourselves on the path of the wicked and some of those sins and those decisions that we've made have led to, not, have led to bigger problems, to bigger consequences? I know I have. Um, I, I remember back in middle school <clears throat> in seventh grade, um, I was a Christian. I, I, I'd grown up in the church, uh, but I wasn't really actively pursuing God. You know, I said I was a Christian, but it was more like a Sunday, Wednesday kind of Christian, not a, not a daily Christian. And I found myself um, saying certain words and having this kind of uh, potty mouth um, every day. With an, and I kind of received that from the friends I hung out with, from the, the people I invested time in. And I found myself not with the best kind of language. And at the time, I didn't think it was a big deal. You know, it's like, ah, who cares? You know, my, my family doesn't go to school with me. It doesn't matter. I don't say these things at home, so it doesn't matter. Um, that changed when I was in seventh grade, though, because my sisters uh, were in the sixth grade. And I remember during, at, in my middle school, we all had lunch together. It wasn't like a sixth grader's lunch, seventh grader's, eighth grader's lunch. We all had lunch together. And I was carrying my lunch, and uh, I had some friend at the time kind of bump into me, and I kind of like dropped my lunch. And I looked at him, and I yelled some sort of profanity. I don't remember what I said. But I said something that wasn't the kindest in, that didn't have the kindest words. Again, not a big deal. I say it all the time. Um, but then I looked to my left, and I saw at the table pretty close to me, I saw my sisters, uh, my sixth grade sisters, look at me um, with this shock, this shocked look in their face, having seen their big brother say this word that they never thought they would hear him say. And from that moment on, I knew it was like, oh, I messed up. And something I didn't think was a big deal, some, some sin I didn't think was, that didn't matter, had an effect on my sisters. Because it gave, I'm supposed to be their big brother, I'm supposed to be this example to them. But what example was I showing them when I was saying these profanities, saying these words, when I was being rude? It didn't, it didn't set an example. And that was kind of a thing I had to struggle with them for a long time, because they didn't see me the same way after that for a while. Of course, God willing, I was able to get my trust and kind of fix that, but it was difficult. I'm sure a lot of us can, re can relate to that, you know, being on that path of the wickedness, even as Christians. And we all have our different struggles. <clears throat> so again, why is righteousness so important? I want to emphasize this because Righteousness is, is important for us because it helps us, walk, it helps us walk the path God originally intended for us. And because of that, God wants, what, God wants what's best for us. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's why it's also important to walk this path of righteousness, not only for our own sake, but so that we can set the example to others and hopefully bring other people with us. I don't know all of your guys' stories, but maybe some of you weren't Christians to begin with. Maybe you didn't grow up Christian. But because of someone's example, because of the path they walked on, the example uh, for the love they shared, the way they exemplified God, maybe that's what brought you to Christ. I know for me, even though I grew up as a Christian, there was plenty of people I looked up to that made me realize I needed to change my life and be better. That's why it's so important to be righteous. Again, not for our own sakes, but for others too. God wants us to bring as many people with us home as possible. And it won't be easy, of course. Like we talked about, being a Christian isn't easy. 
And God knows that. And that's why he sent his only begotten son to come and die on the cross for our sins so that we can be washed away by his blood through the waters of baptism so that we may have that chance of salvation, that chance to be right with God so we can be set apart from the world, so we can be holy, so we can be righteous, so we can be blessed and prosper in everything that we do like Psalm talks about because he knows what's best for us. So again, I ask you, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Again, yes, it's good. It's standing up for something that's good, having something that's morally right and standing up for that. But it's also more. Righteousness is holding on and trusting in God so that he may do what's right for me and also for others. Again, what he could do, it's not what I could do. Because as we talked about, when it comes to me making my own decisions, it doesn't really work out. We will constantly fail. It's kind of like what I talked about two months ago. The same idea with the, uh, excuse me, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, talking about where's your treasures lie? Where's your heart? Is your heart set on the things that are eternal? Are they, is your heart set on things that are godly? Or are, they gonna, are they set on the things of this world that won't last, that will fail you? Because God will never fail us. He won't. In conclusion, and we won't read it just yet, but in your Bibles to James chapter 4, James 4, verses 7 and 8. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We won't read it just yet. But just have your Bibles turned there. In conclusion, I want to challenge you guys and challenge myself in this to get right with God, to find that path of righteousness. If you feel like you've been walking in a manner of unrighteousness, you've you've been struggling um, with this path of wickedness, I want to encourage you to repent of that and to choose to walk the path of righteousness. And if you, do choose to cho- if you do choose to walk that path, God will be there welcoming you with open arms, showering you with love. Something that's beautiful about being a Christian is that even though we do fail, when we come back, God... When we fail, He, isn't, he doesn't hate us. He doesn't condemn us. Because He knows we won't be perfect. Again, that's why we talked about it. That's why He sent His Son. But if we constantly turn to Him and better ourselves we can continue on this path of righteousness. I also want to challenge you to find delight in God's words. I know for me, reading the Bible can sometimes feel like such a chore. Especially growing up, my parents had me every every morning before school, my dad would have me and my sisters tell him what we read in our Bible. And I remember being like, I don't want to read my Bible. And so I'd read some simple, some psalm and just kind of be like, yeah, I talked about how God is good and how everything is Sin is bad and all that stuff. But at that time, it was a chore. I didn't, my heart wasn't in it. But I, I challenge you to make the time to not only read his Bible, but to meditate on it. Let him pour into you. Meditate on his word. Find joy in reading the Bible. If we don't find joy in this, then what's the point of being a Christian? We need to find joy in the words that he brings us so we can seek his righteousness so that it can be added unto us so we never, and so that we never stop seeking the Lord. It's a constant process. Once you're baptized, that's not the end of your journey. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. If you're in James chapter 4, let's read verses 7 and 8. I want to end with this. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
So verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But I want to focus on that first part of verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Are you drawing near to God? Are you on the path of the righteous? Or are you like the chaff on the path of the wicked? Again, if you aren't, if you are, there's plenty of people here to talk to. Get on the right path. It will, be, it will do you better in the end. It won't lead to your destruction. If you would now, if you, if you want, excuse me, if you feel like you're struggling, I encourage you to talk to someone. I encourage you to be here as we stand and as we stand. I am